Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of March 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and there's hundreds and hundreds of audios to choose from. And if you do manage to struggle through them, you'll find a lot of answers to the big questions like uh, what kind of society are you born into? Uh, why is everything the way it simply is? Uh, why do, you, you, do most people simply accept all the organizations that run their lives? Uh, how did your government come to be? Or how did you come to lose your government for that matter? Uh, so many questions are answered because we live through a script, a script that devised a long, long time ago and came out into the open in, at the turn of the 20th century under uh, the guise of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. And they have branches across the whole planet. They draft up all the international treaties for governments to sign automatically. And uh, the integration of Europe was their idea. And the integration of the Americas, in fact, is also their idea. They, they, tried, they trialed that themselves uh, as the Council on Foreign Relations on Canadian television in 2005. So we're going through a planned change, the planned society, to the big global society. Uh, and again, too, it's a vastly, vastly different uh, society they want to bring in, scientifically controlled. And eventually, as we all pretty well know, I'm sure, out there, um, no one will be able to have a child on their own without genetic intervention, taking out what they call the bad genes, the ones that make you angry about things, like having your, your, your cash taken off you. Uh, via taxis until there's nothing left for you, things like that, until you're an obedient uh, servant for the system. That literally is the goal. It's, it's as simple as that. And, of course, depopulation, which they're already, they've been going under depopulation since the 50s. Since they first said, my God, the baby boomers will bankrupt us, even though the baby boomers were the biggest tax base ever had for all those years. But, of course, they didn't intend for them ever to really collect their pensions. They wanted them to keel over with cancers before, which they're given, of course, through inoculations, uh, long before it's time for the pensionable age. And you are literally living through that kind of system. To newcomers, it might sound utterly paranoid, but there's plenty of evidence to back it all up. And uh, the big boys don't make wish lists and say about depop- top of depopulation. They don't have world meetings about it and do nothing at all or send the list off to Santa Claus, doesn't work that way. They, they believe in taking action. And, of course, you can't tell the public what you're doing. That literally is a system. We're kept like children, really, really like children. So help yourself to the audios. Hopefully you'll learn a lot. And you can also buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthemetrics.com because I don't sell uh, anything else. I don't bring on advertisers. I'm not backed by advertisers to sell their products. And, uh, and that way I've got a freer hand to say what I want to say, I think. So if you want to support me, you buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com from the U.S. to Canada. You can use a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use PayPal. Some people just send cash from the States. And again, too, you can go uh, across the world. You've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. 
And what I do is match the, the, the latest news with parts of the agenda which has been published many years ago. Many, many publications have come out from uh, that comes from foreign relations. They still are every darn day. <laughs> they churn them out like crazy, telling you uh, what they want done across the waters, um, what countries we've got to invade next, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. They tell you in advance what they're doing. And um, whatever they say uh, goes into the mainstream newspapers because, you see, pretty everyone, everyone who is in the mainstream belongs to the Council on Foreign Relations. But they take their, their cues from the CFR's pages themselves. I've put up the list before of the so-called CFR experts uh, that manage all uh, what your news is going to be. I might do the same again tonight. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix and we live through a script as I say, a script. Those who control the world, and we've been under a global government or governance system for a long time. In fact, that was the whole idea uh, of the, the agenda for the, the CFR and the Royal Institute for International Affairs because, as I say, 100 years ago they decided to take the world over using Britain and the British Empire as the basis to build on. And uh, the U.S. was to take over eventually, and the two integrates in, in managing it. And that happened a long time ago as well. But what's interesting is uh, they wanted to take over all the world's wealth, all the natural wealth of, of uh, raw resources across the planet. And we know that Cecil Rhodes, who belonged to the precursor group, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, of course, is set up, along with uh, Rothschild, Lord Rothschild. Uh, they set up their own organization to do that very thing, and they sent uh, their members and some of their own sons, because it was all made up, you see, of bankers and bankers' sons, this initial organization, and probably international bankers, and um, eventually they turned into the Milner Group and then into the Royal Institute for International Affairs. But uh, their sons were across the world to take over uh, vast areas, which they knew had diamonds or gold, silver, uh, and eventually uh, into oil, uh, but they also wanted to take over things they would use down the road. They might, you know, to park something that like you park your car. That's what they did. They parked whole areas for future use. And you'll find that, that certain um, things are happening across the world, which they intended in a hundred years' time to to go into. And that's things like oil, for instance. They let the U.S. have a good run at it for many, many years which kept America afloat, especially since they were moving all their factories to China, again, thanks to the CFR and all their organizations that drafted up the treaties for the World Trade Organization, which the CFR also set up. But eventually they said that they'd use other countries too, so they already knew where all the oil was. And in an old school book, an old primary school book, in fact, I found at a yard sale in, in Canada, that's for children 5 to 12, uh, it was talking about the t- photographs it gives you to of uh, the capped oil fields across Ontario, just Ontario alone. There's 200 of them left. They're, they were all uh, discovered during the 1920s. They were bored and the whole thing and then capped and left. They haven't been used yet. Never been used yet. So that's, no doubt there's many, many more. 
in the wilds of Canada that we don't know anything about. But they also knew that Africa, uh, apart from all its, its surface minerals, um, would be a, a real boom eventually. They knew there was going to be oil underneath it. And here it comes, of course, today. This is Kenya oil discovery after Tello oil drilling. And it says oil has been discovered in Kenya after exploratory drilling by the Anglo-Irish firm Tello Oil. President Mwa Kibaki has said discovery was made in the country's northwestern Turkana region. And this is the first time Kenya has made such a discovery and called it a major breakthrough. So Kenya is, uh, is, is going to go up there. They won't get it themselves, of course, because, you know, everything's always rigged. Uh, the boys with the, say that we have the equipment, the, the, the techniques, the professionals. They move in and make a deal. And uh, if they don't get a civil war going, uh, which they generally do, uh, then they'll just pay off the high officials, of course. And sometimes they do get civil wars going, and then they bring their own mercenaries in to guard uh, their, their, their factory or their oil field or whatever it happens to be. They've done it in Sierra Leone and different places uh, when they wanted the diamonds. Uh, and that way, too, all you have to pay off is some warlord. And a warlord is far cheaper to handle than a whole government, you see, if you're taking all the stuff out of their country. But anyway, it says um, it's an excellent start to the major exploration campaign in the East African Rift Basins of Kenya and Ethiopia, said Angus Macos, the company's exploration director. Uh, to make a good oil discovery in the first well, it's in the first well they drilled, is beyond our expectations, because they knew where to go, right? <laughs> and bodes well for the material program ahead of us all. And it also mentions, too, uh, that, that they've, uh, they've found oil in or off the coast of a number of African countries, including Ghana and uh, Sierra Leone. So it's, it's just astonishing. They've also already discovered it in Uganda, and that's why you had all that trouble in Uganda for many, many years, making sure that no one could, could drill there till it was time to drill, you see. Now it's time to drill there. And it um, be interesting to see how they, they pull it off over in those countries. They can literally park stuff for a for hundred years if they want to, and they do. I know a guy uh, in Canada who went over to Nova Scotia in the East Coast, and uh, he went to visit his grandmother, and he, he knew there was, there was gold around those some hills in the areas there, and he chipped some golds off a hill. He brought it back to Ontario, went to the sea office in Toronto. The guys put the acids in and the stuff that they mix it with for the colour, and he put up to a chart and he says, I'm afraid to confiscate the, these nuggets. And Bob says, why? He says, this is because you got that from Hill so-and-so. And he just pointed to the map of Canada. He says, that hill belongs to Lord Rothschild. And the Rothschilds have never mind it. Never mind that. This is sitting part waiting for the future. But they could tell a glance where it came from. Everything is so minutely uh, worked out and owned a long, long time ago. By the big boys, you see. And it's the same with oil, gold, diamonds, and everything else. That's how it really works up there. And as I say, unfortunately, uh, it can be a good and a bad thing if you find something of interest to the big boys, uh, who already probably knew it was all there. But if they, if, if, if they, you discover it too soon, or it's not a part of a treaty pact or whatever, or a sharing pact, they'll get a war going or, or something going to get it out of you for nothing. And here's about a new treaty in the making, and it's to do with really the content of Agenda 21, because they're, they're drafting up a new one at the moment, in fact, to do with the way they implement, they implement all the changes. Now, 
It says here, Covenant on Environment and Development. This one here was done in 1998. It took that long to get all the stuff from the Rio conference signed into law by every country, like these treaties. But they're calling it a covenant here. Very interesting term he used, too, on environment and development. And it says, few people in America have seen Agenda 21. Even fewer have read it. It's a 288-page document consisting of 40 chapters, replete with recommendations that affect virtually every aspect of human life. Taken together, the recommendations, when fully implemented, constitute what's called sustainable development. Agenda 21 is the action plan adopted at the UNCED, United Nations CED, United Nations Conference on Environment and Development in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. Now, again, it's a private organizations that got together, but they've got the, the backing of the biggest boys on the planet, you see. Uh, Maurice Strong was the one who headed it off on behalf of, of Mr. Rockefeller. It says the United States was one of the 179 nations that signed the document. So here's your new democracy. Private organizations, all funded by foundations, putting their own frontmen out there, like, like Maurice Strong, who works at the United Nations. And um, 179 nations signed it, you see. The public never even heard of it or knew what was going on. And still call it democracy. Now here's, listen to this, it is a soft law document. Remember, you're the big herd, they call you the herd. It's a soft law document, meaning that it's not legally binding. Now many folk have lost their land and everything because of it. It is not legally binding. This is from the original document. right? And therefore Congress has no reason to review or approve its content. Nevertheless, the recommendations contained in Agenda 1 are being implemented through two separate but coordinated initiatives. The President's Council on Sustainable Development, called PCSD, and the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, the ICLEI. That's these bunch, these ones that, that graft themselves onto your local council, they disappear in your area. Generally semi or, or early retirement bureaucrats, they're told to go out and do this, towns and villages and, and even the cities. Implementation is occurring through the promulgation of rules by federal agencies and through the development of plans for sustainable communities at the local level. This is 1998, remember. And it says here, uh, recommendations from Agenda 21 are being implemented without the benefit of public debates by elected officials. Though many communities do not recognize it as such, a well-coordinated national effort is underway to transform America to conform to the principles set forth in Agenda 21, and Canada and every other country as well, I should add to it. Although Agenda 21 is a soft law document, it was from the start intended to be the precursor of an all-encompassing United Nations Treaty. The most recent iteration of that treaty has now been obtained and reviewed. It is called in its present form Draft International Covenant on Environment and Development. It is organized into 11 parts containing a total of 72 articles. Very interesting that because that used to be the old number of the Sanhedrin in ancient times. It will convert the soft law recommendations of Agenda 21 into legally binding hard international law. So, so far we've been getting conditioned to it, the terms, the names, softly, softly, like the song goes. And now that they're going into legally binding it into hard international law, you see. And of course that will come about with the Rio Plus 20 in June. 
It says, before examining the document itself, it's helpful to realize that the procedure for making international law has evolved uh, since 1948. That's, that's their big treaty, United Nations, for all the countries. And is now recognized by the international community as the norm. Now, most of the international community, if they're talking about us, are totally ignorant of it. You do know that. The introduction to the draft covenant says, the, prog- the progression of legal principles from recommendatory soft to legally clear hard is well known in international law. Because with the herd, right? Just get unused to hearing the terms, and most of them will go along anyway thinking it's absolutely law, but it's not as soft. You don't have to comply. To legally clear hard is well known in international law. That's how they get the public to go along, the herd. And I'll, I'll continue on this article. It's very, very important for those who are following reality and, and what's really happening and the reasons for it. Back with more after this. Folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix, going through uh, an article about actually the, the documents from the United Nations and, and to do with Agenda 21 and how it's implemented and how they always bring it in under soft law at first so countries, even counties or areas could say, no, we don't want that, if they only knew, if they only knew they had that right. And, and eventually they make it a hard law, you see. So they get you used to it. They familiarize you with the idea of, of these things coming. They train you, in other words. But they say the progression of legal principles from recommendatory soft to legally clear, clear hard is well known in international law. For example, 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a soft law instrument, was a precursor to the two 1966 UN Covenants on Human Rights. So whenever you hear something coming out of the United Nations that the governments are going to sign, you know it's only the beginning and, and they'll build on it and build on it. In every area, it's for every, so many topics you can't keep up with them. Similarly, the Vienna Convention on Ozone-Depleting Substances was adopted and ratified as a treaty which required only that nations monitor substances thought to be thought to be ozone-depleting. Remember? Thought to be. The Conference of the Parties, legalistic, the Conference of the Parties, very legalistic, then adopted the Montreal Protocol, which made the treaty legally binding. So they, they, they ensured that down the road they would make it legally binding, but they set you off thinking, well, we've got choices, you see. The same process is being used to convert the Voluntary Framework Convention on Climate Change into a legally binding hard law uh, document through the Kyoto Protocol. The Covenant on Environment and Development is following the same path. Every, they're talking about every building project you can ever imagine. And I've got articles from the, 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 from the United Nations on a lot of this stuff because... They're, they're into uh, cities of the future, uh, existing cities and environment, all that kind of stuff. It says the first uh, call for an international treaty on environment and development came from the 1983 World Commission on Environment and Development, also known as the Brundtland Commission. Their final report, published in 1987, entitled Our Common Future, recommended that the United Nations prepare a new and legally binding universal convention which should uh, consolidate existing and uh, established new legal principles and set out the associated rights and responsibilities of states individually and collectively for securing environmental protection and sustainable development to the year 2000 and beyond. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature, 
It's called IUCN, assembled a working group under its Commission on Environmental Law, called the CEL, under the chairmanship of Dr. Wolfgang E. Burnhenny. In November 1989, they produced a draft text containing 88 provisions. A second meeting of the IUCN group met in March 91 under the chairmanship of Dr. Parvez Hassan. The draft covenant was translated into six official languages recognized by the United Nations and provided to PREPCOM Working Group 3, PREPCOM. Uh, then preparing for the UNICED in Rio, for, for the Rio conference. Uh, the evolving covenant then became the basis for the de- development of Agenda 21. From the start, Agenda 21 was intended to be a soft law document, getting you familiar with it. Scared, but familiar with it. Therefore, its ideas are presented in the form of recommendations, with no discussion at all of compliance and enforcement. Again, they, they know us so well, right? They know us so well. They say, well, we don't have to comply with that, you know. The draft covenant, however, does address those issues. A third meeting of the IUCN group was held shortly after UNCED to incorporate ideas presented in Rio into the covenant. Two more meetings occurred in April and September 93. Both the chairs of the IUCN's Ethics Commission and IUCN's Species Survival Commission were invited to participate. The drafting committee met again in April and September, 19, and September 1994. While the IUCN is clearly the driving force behind the document, other organizations that participate in the development of the covenant included the International Council of Environmental Law, and the United Nations Environmental Programs, Environmental Law and Institutions Program Activity Centre. The current draft covenant was completed March 1995 in Bonn, Germany. Like all recent UN treaties, the language is somewhat vague and seeks to establish principles which may be interpreted in the future by the treaty's conference of the parties. So in other words, it's, it's vague. They, they, they deliberately make it vague because they know where they want to take it down the road. Part 1, Article 1 sets forth the covenant's objectives, and it lists their, their objectives here. And literally, it's to change your whole way of living. It's to, it's to create more government agencies, which will literally go into the whole, like, all activities of humans, including pregnancy and giving birth and the right to birth and all that kind of stuff. Everything is in here. Uh, it says here, the article clearly illustrates the difference between the UN's concept of governance and America's concept of governance. America recognizes that humans have certain inalienable rights, among which is the right to create a government controlled by the people who are governed through the representatives who are elected by the people who are governed. The inalienable rights are limited. Obligations are accepted in America only with the consent of the people who are governed. The people who are governed retain the right to cast off any limitation on the rights or any obligation they may have previously accepted simply by electing a new batch of representatives. The covenant, on the other hand, assumes that rights are granted by government and that people to whom rights are granted owe certain obligations to government as may be prescribed by the government. This concept of governance is a prevailing view held by most of the world. The American view is beyond the comprehension of most of the world's peoples. Even nations that are described as social democracies, it's assumed that government is a source of human rights. This is an exceedingly important principle of governance that America has failed to advance in the international community. And I'll go into some other parts of what's coming up to do with Agenda 21 after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts, cutting through the matrix, talking about uh, the new treaties that are coming along the pike and, and comparing them with the last uh, treaties that were signed at the United Nations and all the many organizations that uh, belong to the United Nations. But it says that this principle replaces the anthropocentric worldview with a biocentric worldview. Historical Americans have believed that human life is a supreme value uh, aside from the creator of all life. That human beings at the top of the food chain, well, which we are, we're definitely paying the most for our food, you know, better just hunt it like most predators do. Americans have believed that human beings are creation's crowning jewel, that ultimately all species' natural resources are available for human use. The biocentric worldview holds that humans have no greater value than any other species, and that all species, including humans, have equal rights. And that came out of the last Rio conference. Uh, this biocentric view has been officially adopted by the U.S. Department of Interior, which is, in, in its ecosystem management policy, states that in all ecosystem management activity, human beings shall be considered as a biological resource. The precautionary principle is codified in Article 7. The same idea is expressed in Principle 15 of Agenda 21. It's the idea that policy action should not wait on scientific justification if government decides a threat to the environment exists. Article 8, Principle 3 in Agenda 21 declares that the right to development is accompanied by the obligation to meet environmental and equity needs as determined by non-elected government policy makers. Article 10 writes into international law, the elimination of unsustainable patterns of production and consumption. That's a very important one. Because they want to get rid of all meats and cattle and so on. That's part of the agenda. Again, as determined by non-elected government policy makers, Maurice Strong, Secretary General of UNCED, and now Executive Coordinator of UN Reform, declared that in Rio, that single-family homes, air conditioning, and automobiles are not sustainable, if you're wondering where it all came from. Part 3 sets forth the general obligations. Article 11 declares that states have, in accordance with the chapter of the United Nations and the principles of international law, the sovereign right to utilize the resources. This article clearly establishes the United Nations Charter and the principles of international law as superior to national sovereignty. Moreover, the article also sets forth specific obligations, which include the obligation to protect and preserve the environment. So, this goes on and on and on, and I'll put this up tonight, the link to this article here, uh, this charter, uh, at cuttingthroughthebridges.com at the end of the broadcast. But it's, you've got to look over this to understand what's coming up at Rio, because the hard power, the hard law comes in then, and every country will sign it. You, you bet your bottom dollar, and you better get on to every politician that you know, and uh, let, let them all know that you know what they're up to, and demanding to know what they're going to vote. Because literally, uh, if you think it's bad now, with all the, the various taxes you pay for the environment and so on, uh, you wait till, till this is signed into law with hard power to back it up. It's going to put a lot of folk off the land. It's determined to do that. They don't want you on the land. They want to cram you all into the cities, and, and then you'll die off. They said that up until the year 2050 or whatever, there'll be a drastic drop in population. They didn't see how that would happen, but they'll, I'm sure there was something planned as well. And 
This other article, too, is to control population growth, redistribute wealth, force social and economic equity and justice. I mean, we're already going ahead, even before they've signed Part 2 of the Rio conference, to do with the redistribution of wealth. And strangely enough, it came out when they collapsed the banks first. They collapsed the banks, and then, then it takes your tax money, reward the banks, and then the rest of your tax money goes abroad. It's Marxism, isn't it? So, redistribute wealth, force social and economic equity and justice. Now, they've got strange ways of seeing economic justice and equity and the mindsets of the guys on the top. Economic control, consumption control, so that you're going to get consumption control. Believe you me and your food, you're going to get rationing down the way. Land and water use control and resettlement control. Resettlement. It says DICED, D-I-C-E-D, is the United Nations Environmental Constitution for the World. It says, I'm sure there are many Americans who have no idea or care uh, what the draft International Covenant on Environment and Development, called DICED, is. They should, some call the draft covenant Agenda 21 on steroids, while others see it as the environmental constitution of global governance. The first version of the covenant was presented to the UN in 1995 on the occasion of its 50th birthday. It was hoped that it would become a negotiating document for a global treaty on environmental conservation and sustainable development. The fourth version of the Covenant, issued September 22, 2010, was written to control all development tied to the environment. All development. The highest form of law for all human activity. The Covenant's 79 articles, described in great detail in 242 pages, takes sustainable development principles described in Agenda 21 and transforms them into global law, which supersedes all constitutions, including the U.S. Constitution, if it's signed, you see, which it will be. All signatory nations, including the United States, will become centrally planned, socialist countries in which all decisions will be made within the framework of sustainable development. In collaboration with the Earth Charter, that's from Maurice Strong, and Elizabeth Hobb Foundation for Environmental Policy and Law from Canada, the covenant was issued by the International Council on Environmental Law, ICEL, in Bonn, Germany, and the International Union for Conservation of Nature, with offices in, in Gland, uh, Switzerland and Cambridge, UK. Federal agencies that are members of the International Union for Conservation of Nature include the US Department of State, uh, Commerce, Agriculture, Forest Service, Interior Fish and Wildlife, National Park Service and Environmental Protection Agency. The same agencies are members of the White House Rural Council and the newly established White House Council on Strong Cities, Strong Communities, and that was put through through an executive order March 15th, 2012. It's wonderful living in a, a republic with a representative democracy. Eh? Isn't it wonderful? The draft covenant is a blueprint to create an agreed single set of fundamental principles like a code of conduct used in many civil law, socialist and theocratic traditions which may guide states, intergovernmental organizations and individuals. They called it, by the way, this covenant a living document, a blueprint that will be adopted by all members of the United Nations. They say that global partnership is necessary in order to achieve sustainable development by focusing on social and economic pillars. The writers are very careful to avoid the phrase one world government. That proper governance is necessary on all levels, from the local to the global. That's what it, how it words it. So I'll put this up too. And uh, you can work your way through that because you're, you're going, if you think it's bad now, wait till they have the Rio conference 
And believe they're not going to sit there and hash out anything. They simply go there to, to make it an official get together and, and they get the governments to, all the governments to sign the documents that were drafted up over many, many years. So, one article, which is just hilarious, is, uh, and I'm glad lots of people have noticed it too. Bernanke got such a bad, bad rip because of his, uh, his shenanigans and passing cash back and forth before the collapse claim to make sure that the proper bank survived. Uh, anyway, it says the Atlantic magazine cover proclaims Ben Bernanke the hero. If you're looking for the most nauseating cover possible on Ben Bernanke, please consider the April 200, uh, 2012 issue of the Atlantic. Uh, it says the cover asks the question, Ben Bernanke saved the global economy, so why does everyone hate him? For starters, Ben Bernanke did not save the global economy, making such a proclamation is like a football football fans proclaiming victory at the end of the third quarter with a score of 54-24, following a 24-point rally after being down 54-0. Simply put, it's far too early to make a presumption that the Fed saved anything given the global economy remains hugely imbalanced and highly vulnerable. Furthermore, we can state without a doubt Bernanke is an inflationist, uh, jackass, <laughs> devoid of common sense, and clueless about trade, debt, history, and gold. So anyway, I'll put this up tonight too. How the, the PR, they're going to bring the PR boys from Hollywood to remake, you know, a total makeover for Ben Bernanke, the man who saved America. Uh, and unfortunately, some folk will hear often enough will believe it. When you see uh, similar articles coming out all at once across the world, you've got you've got a, a combination of people working to make it so. Combination, you see, nothing happens just spontaneously in different countries at the same time, unless it's planned that way and organised, highly organised, in fact, with the cooperation of the media, who puts the articles straight in uh, to the papers. But it's here's one too. It says Britain sees a race towards euthanasia. And uh, this is in different countries all at the same time. Proponents of euthanasia in Britain are trying once again to remove the safety legal uh, safeguards on assisted suicide. A motion from Richard Ottaway, MP, patron of Dignity and Dying, formerly the Voluntary Euthanasia Society, has reopened the debate on euthanasia in Britain, seeking an increasingly leniency towards assisted suicide. Well, Mr. Ottaway has made a welcome climb down from his original stance, an amendment from Joan Ruddick, Member of Parliament, would lead to an inflexible requirement for leniency in all cases of assisted suicide, thus making prosecuting those with genuine malicious intent difficult and give rise to increased numbers of unchecked assisted suicides. In resistance to Joan Ruddock's efforts to legitimise euthanasia, a further amendment has been tabled by Fiona Bruce, Member of Parliament, placing the emphasis instead on palliative care and hospice provision. This encouraging move aimed at giving real dignity and respect to dying patients has received the support of more than 80 members of Parliament. But anyway, there's more and more true, of course, as, as this well-funded uh, organization, well-funded, again, through foundations and other means, um, will get its way eventually, like it has, of course, in Holland, which is the flagship for it with the trial out. And Holland's already, if you refuse to, to go under the needle, uh, when, by your GP, or if your GP refuses to kill you in your house, the government now sends a van round to do it instead, uh, against your wishes. See, once you, you put this, it's like it's the articles I just read before, once you put them on the, the books as a first reading, the, the, second, the second part and third part builds onto it until they get what they wanted in the first place. Everything's like that. Everything is like that. 
Government cannot be allowed, cannot be allowed to, to start putting human beings down like animals. Now, families used to look after the ill. And families, I'm no doubt at all, and with maybe the help of occasional doctor, would be given a certain kind of substance or whatever to, to help ease the pain and would, would help the person on their way, so to speak. But that's the person's decision in the family too. You can't give this kind of power to the government because the government has a different agenda. The government's on and on about overpopulation for a start. The government also can pass laws to seize that person's possessions, etc., for, for the treatment they've had in the past for their illnesses, which by they do, they do in Canada. If you don't have a living will and you end up in the hospital, the government come in and seize everything you got. If you're an elderly person, that's house everything. Leaving nothing to your family uh, offspring. So you can't give this kind of power to the state, a political institution with its own policies and directions. It's never the directions of the public anyway, as you well know. But it would fit right into Agenda 21 and much, much more. Also, at the same time, you see locked up and sedated, huge rise in numbers of dementia patients being restrained by hospital staff and carers. Why is that in the paper alongside dementia? Why do you think that's in the same paper? At the same time. So dementia patients are increasingly being restrained by hospital staff and carers, a report warns. Well, what they do is get them in and drug them. That's what they do. The report by Health Watchdog Care Quality Commission reveals that 4,951 restraining orders were granted to hospitals and care homes last year, up from 3,287 in 2009 to 2010. That's where they're allowed to sort of restrain them by straps to the bed or whatever, or to chairs and things like that. But that's to build up an impression in your head that suddenly there's a massive problem with the hospitals and the elderly. Mind you, the elderly get a bad bash to begin with because they don't like the elderly. They want us all to die off before we get that old. Every movie that you'll see, the elderly person is, is a doddering idiot mumbling to themselves. Have you noticed that? It's been like that for years and years and years and years and years. And people can't put it together because the people who are pushing all the euthanasia and everything else or who run for, for, for the office are generally people of a minimum age of about 60. These are the folk who run your countries, 60s and 70-year-olds. It's double-think, isn't it? Yeah, we're okay, but see, the rest of the people out there are, are dumb and, and they're senile. People can't put it together. They just can't do it. And another article, too, from the Rolling Stone is Gangster Banks Keep Winning Public Business. It's quite interesting how they go through it here. A friend of mine said an article from Bloomberg along with a simple comment, perfect, what's perfect? That the banks that have been caught repeatedly ripping off communities and municipalities, banks have paid hefty settlements for rigged bids, bribery and other sordid misdeeds, keep winning the most public business. Apparently our public officials aren't concerned about whom they hire to serve as the people's investment bankers. This is from the piece until J.P. Morgan claims number one for government debt after Jefferson County. J.P. Morgan, which emerged from the world's financial crisis uh, since the 1930s as the most profitable U.S. bank, has parlayed crisis-era loans to cities and states and a willingness to outbid other firms in local government bond auctions into becoming the top underwriter of municipal debt last year, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. It was the first time the firm held that rank. 
The turnaround was a milestone for J.P. Morgan's municipal bond department, which has been marred by the involvement of two of the biggest scandals in the history of the U.S. public finance, a so-called pay-to-play scheme in Jefferson County, Alabama, that contributed to the best, biggest ever U.S. municipal bankruptcy and a federal probe that uncovered bid rigging of municipal bond investment products. I'll put this one up tonight. But you can understand your whole, the whole system is America, Canada, everywhere, which is the same system, by the way, if you have noticed. I don't care what they call it. It's the same system. It's utterly corrupt. It was created that way. Utterly, utterly corrupt. When governments give massive contracts to their favorite pals, there's no doubt about it, big pals. Remember Halliburton? Barack and all the rest of it? Halliburton really just took the, the biggest chunk of money they'd get from the government and subcontracted it all down the line until the ones at the bottom that were doing the work were getting a tiny fraction which meant that tiny fraction was, was all that should have been paid out in the first place. It just goes straight in your pockets. And that's how government does things, through the big contractors that subcontract, 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 all the way down to the guys that actually do the work. I'll put this link up as well. And a good article, which again dispels that man-made global warming, CO2 and all that, uh, was responsible, is responsible for it. The man's got nothing to do with it. It says, this is finally proof we're not causing global warming. The whole of the earth heated up in medieval times without human CO2 emissions, says a new study. Evidence found in rare minerals that records global temperatures. And um, it seems to be well done, a very good study by various scientists. And there's nothing to do with CO2 or man at all. And it was led by a geochemist, Zunli Lu from Syracuse University in New York. They found that contrary to the consensus, the medieval warm period approximately 500 to 1,000 years ago wasn't confined to Europe. They tried to say that Europe was a problem with all people. They found that it happened across the globe because its crystals are found everywhere. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and I'll go to the callers. There's Steve from New York City on the line. It is Steve. Hello, Steve. Okay, um, I'm in New York. Uh, you know, the aerosol spring is going on here at night. It's uh, all white skies all day, every day, and there's no more blue like I remember when I was a child. Yep. But I wanted to say um, anybody who's worried about their country's personal financials, um, just realize that, you know, the North American Union plan, mm-hmm. that, you know, you can get up, get caught up in the current situation, but, um, you know, collapse economy, rising prices of food and fuel. Yeah. But realize that just it's kind of like a whole, a whole part of a bigger picture that, like, you can kind of spell out. So, yeah. you know, it's really, um, you know, kind of like a regional corruption thing going on and that, you know, yeah. um, tell people not to panic because, like, it's it's all written down. It's written written. So. Yeah, it's, it's all planned. You're simply living through a plan. And and they've already said, I mean, they wanted to bring in rationing down the road too. Well, once they get rid of uh, all the, 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 the farms that are left, basically, except the big corporate farms that just grow their own GM grain, uh, then you'll have ration cards and limited meats, if any at all, or a meat substitute, perhaps. And uh, this is planned. It's, but again, too, you've lived years of your life already in their plan, and, but, and most folk never knew it, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm even rationing myself with electricity, you know, switching to the LED lights and uh, 
trying yeah. to lower the electricity bill to save money, but realizing that, you know, the goal is to make as much money as possible with, uh, with you know, whatever they give us, the the, uh, the crumbs on the plate in terms yes. of energy and, uh, and all that. Yeah. And, um, like, you know, as you said in 2008 when I called you, um, you know, it's all a big joke on the public, and uh, we're just living through it, um, this plan. And yep. uh, the, the end game really is, is to kill us or to kill our grandchildren or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm just kind of totally in tune with you. I really appreciate your work. Um, I have your books and videos. I just wanted to say I uh, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah, yeah, we're living through a script, as I say. It's a script. And, and the wars, even the times of, the, of beginnings of wars, are all scripted years ahead. Uh, the script for the New American Century Group uh, was put up in the 90s, twice, in the early 90s and then in the later 90s, by Wolfowitz. And he had on it for the New American Century all the countries that they have bombed so far. And, and it was the same one as Israel put out at the same time. Look up the Israeli papers, you'll see it. Same, same list, identical. And that's what we've been living through for years now. Right, right down to Iran and Syria. So, uh, yep, what can you say? You're living through a script. It's that simple. Now, there's Jane from Ontario on the line. Are you still there, Jane? I, I am. Um, yes. I just was thinking about the anthropocentric um, view of nature mm-hmm. and the change to the biocentric or um, ecocentric yeah. view. Um, do you think the anthro, <laughs> anthropocentric view... Like, have, do you think the elite have sort of altered the way we, the way we perceive that? Yeah. Um, like, say, if you if you compare it to the native, um, Native Americans, how they, how they see themselves, mm-hmm. or how they traditionally saw themselves. Yeah. And in the animals and. Well, we're we're always being altered to suit the times, and. Uh, I mean, the American Indians weren't as um, really into what we think of as a, a, a deep religion. They used to drive buffalo off cliff tops by the hundreds sometimes just to get a few of them. So, you know, that, again, that's a Hollywood-type uh, creation. But definitely, yeah, we've all been trained for a long time that we're just another animal. And they've been doing that since at least the, ni- the early 1900s. Um, many of their big boys who wrote their books at the time uh, talks about that. The man is just another animal. In fact, the guy in charge of the UNICEF, United Nations, the first Julian Huxley, he said that. He said, we've got to knock man off his pedestal and bring him down to the level of the animal, but not for the elites. They were superior in genetics, etc. That's what we're in today. But thanks for calling. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.